welcome to episode 3 of the Oscars Death Race podcast, where it ain't over until the final credits roll. My name is Paolo, and I'm your host. So, as it stands, today is December 24th, Christmas Eve 2019. Um, I know I sort of had this episode out earlier in the day, but you know how the holidays are and getting stuff up would work. So, in any case, still aiming to get this out by before the end of the day today so I can stick to my release schedule. Um, so, yeah. Uh, as a reminder, um, I'm actually going to be out of the country for the next couple of weeks, though before I fly out at the end of the week, I'm going to go ahead and record one more episode to come out next week on the 31st. We're going to have a break on January 7th, um, but when I get back, um, January 14th, we'll already know the nominees for the Oscars, which come out January 13th. So, you know, that episode, we'll go ahead and, and cover that. But next episode, next week's going to be about some more potential Best Winner nominees. Um, but yeah, before, let's just hop into this week's where, I, where I'm going to actually talk about five potential Best Animated Feature Film nominees that I've seen this year. Um, I thought these were going to be the five most likely nominees, but there's been a surprise sixth one that's come in. Uh, so I'll... I'll briefly mention the sixth one plus some other potential candidates that that I'd like to see that probably won't and then we'll wrap up the episode as usual uh, with a movie that I've seen that's probably not going to get nominated for an Oscar but um, and then yeah so and then everyone can hope go back to enjoying their holidays so um, yeah let's move on to the films first up we have Toy Story 4 so as the name suggests Toy Story 4 is the fourth film in the Pixar animated series of the Toy Story franchise first film came out in 1995 uh, which was the first real feature length um, you know computer animated you know CGI film um, second one 1999 third one 2010 and now this one nine years later premiered June 11th of this year and had a wide release in the US on June 21st and has since had its home release on DVD and Blu-ray so you, know, you can definitely pick it up easily if you want to watch uh, watch it um, if, in case you somehow haven't um, it's the sixth highest animated film of all time worldwide box office um, so it has that going for it um, I saw this you know pretty much release weekend um, or shortly thereafter June 25th which you know Thursday Friday Saturday I believe this was the Sunday I guess um, 22nd, 23rd, or Sunday or sometime Sunday Sunday Monday or Tuesday you know of of the release um I think Tuesday, actually, yeah, AMC Tuesdays, uh, $5 Tuesday deal, uh, hashtag not sponsored, hashtag please sponsors me, AMC A-list. Um, at the a- anyway, I saw it June 25th at the AMC 19th Street Theater here in New York City. Um, so, yeah, what is there to say about Toy Story? I mean, Toy Story as a franchise, I mean, obviously, like I mentioned, is, you know, groundbreaking for what it did for, for computer animated and, and just animated film in general and pretty much launched the Pixar brand. Um, and you know, it's been a staple for pretty much most of our collective childhoods, at least if you're in my generation. Um, I definitely grew up burning out the VHS tape of Toy Story and, um, and could probably recite it from memory if I really wanted to. I love watching the Buzz Lightyear animated TV series. Um, definitely watch Toy Story, to- Toy Story 2 for sure. I remember, uh, a field trip, you know, with my, with my class to go, to go watch that. Um, and then, yeah, when I graduated high school, 2010, Toy Story 3 was coming out and I forget if I cried, but I definitely know my mom cried. Um, sorry, mom. Uh, you know, just kind of because the whole story was, you know, Woody and the gang, you know, Andy going off to college, finding a new home for his toys to help take care of another kid, Bonnie, in this case. Um, and yeah, there have been some other things with Toy Story with Bonnie afterwards, you know, some TV sorts and so on, but no feature film. And this is kind of a film where no one really 
asked for it to be made, really. No one was expecting it to be made. But when we saw it, and frankly, people thought that it was kind of superfluous because, you know, the whole arc of Woody and the gang of, you know, the first movie is about accepting change in your life. The second movie, I haven't seen it as much, so quite not quite as not quite as as clear on the themes. But I think, you know, growing the family, and then and then number three is is uh, you know about letting go and and go, going up and moving beyond. That's that's pretty much a pretty tight narrative arc. Um, you know, even just the ending credit, the ending scene, going back up to the clouds. You know, that they were in the original. You pretty much thought Toy Story three was a wrap on the thing, and here we are, Toy Story four, but. Frankly, I think it's one of those rare cases where the film you didn't ask for ends up being something you're really glad was actually made. So, you know, Tom Hanks, forever America's, you know, America's dad, you know, ends up playing Woody, you know, frankly, a, a father figure for Andy through the lens of this film, right? Um, and this was really, if Toy Story 3 was a goodbye to Andy and to just the the toy life in general, I think Toy Story 4 specifically was a goodbye to Woody and Woody's goodbye um and goodbye to that character specifically. So, again, I don't want to get into too much spoilers. I don't. I don't like to do this because I really want people to watch and experience these films for themselves. But some highlights, you know, I definitely think uh, Sporky as a character it was kind of, uh, kind of a embodiment of of most of millennial life or Gen Z life. Uh, you know, in 2019, um, it, it's 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 on the short list for uh, best original song. Um, it's probably not going to get nominated, but you know, well, the song that's "I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away" um, and Sporky thinking himself in sass again. Total encapsulation of the 2019 millennial mindset. Um, you know, there are a lot of questions that have been unanswered. If you've seen the trailers, you know that Bo Peep comes back. It kind of answers the what if, what happened to Bo Peep um, because he was missing in the last film. Um, you know, there are some amazing, you know, smart side characters in uh, Keanu Reeves as Boom as Duke Kaboom and uh, Key and Peel as some stuffed animals. You know, I those were just you know, I think they definitely rounded out the cast pretty well. Um, frankly, you know, the way it is, it goes with the with the animated films you know you don't need to have watched all the nominees to 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 vote and frankly it's kind of disappointing that in past years i get into this later but that most individuals will kind of base it on what their kids liked um and slash what they have nostalgia for so i would highly expect toy story 4 to be one of the two front runners the other being the other main disney film frankly but um, we'll get to that in a little bit but you know, Toy Story Four is is probably gonna get the, probably gonna get the win, um, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I definitely, I'll admit that this is probably the first film in a long time that I actually cried to. I definitely had tears in the final scene. Um, like I said, it's it's kind of a goodbye to Woody, and when that climax at the end comes, you know, I definitely definitely felt it. I will say, you know, a small critique of the film. Um, again, this is just kind of a byproduct of it becoming the Woody show in this case. Um, you know, some of the other side characters really don't get to do that much. The the other toys, you know, Jess and Buzz specifically, you know, Buzz kind of regresses a little bit from where he had grown over the past couple of years to kind of be the dumb space space soldier who can't think for himself. Um, which is kind of unfortunate. I really, I really like the way Buzz had grown in the past couple of films and taken leadership. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, again, it's the Woody show and, uh, you know, if you have any sort of nostalgia for the film, you've probably seen this. Um, in any case, you probably should um, for the Oscar death race. So that's Toy Story 4. Next up, we have Let It Go. It's Frozen 2. So 
Frozen 2 is, in addition to being in the running for best uh, animated film, is on the shortlist and according to goldderby.com, likely to be uh, likely to win uh, for best original song into the unknown, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, as you can imagine, Frozen 2 is the sequel to Gasp, Disney's Frozen that came out in 2013. So it's been about six years, which is a bit long for a sequel to come out. But, you know, um, I guess they, they had a lot of other stuff going on. Um, it's not yet out on digital and it's not yet out on Disney+. Plus. Um, so, you know, it's still in theaters. You know, might as well go and try to catch it. Um, it premiered on November 7th and released right before Thanksgiving uh, uh, on November 22nd. As of you know, as of right now, as of recording, it is the all-time worldwide opening for animated animated film. So you know, definitely successful at the box office, and currently the fifth highest-grossing animated film of all time with 1.1 billion. We'll see how much further it can go. Um, I haven't looked at the numbers on the others, so I, I'm not going to try to reference that right now. Um, but yeah, I saw Frozen 2 randomly after work one day, December 5th, um, uh, at the AMC 25 Theater in Times Square in New York. So, Frozen 2. So, I mean, Frozen came out, Frozen, the original, came out my senior year of college, and somehow I still ended up seeing it in theaters with friends. Um, you know, I think Frozen 2 definitely, it picks up three years after the original, and I think it tries to do a lot. It has multi, like you know, comparing the the first and the second. Frozen one really had the one, yeah, really the one the one track of Elsa and her her story basically, and going to accept her powers. Yeah, yeah, let it go. Dina Menzel singing. Yeah, yeah, the ice castles and so on. Really, one one main story. Um, Frozen two. By virtue of being three years, I think they they they've already established a lot of the lore, the basic lore. You know, princes with powers and so on um and and what does it all mean there have been a couple sorts after including famously the sort before coco uh which was you know definitely like super long for sorry, 25 minutes whatever um this is not that talking about that so they're trying to do three different three dif- a bunch of different lines here um we have uh we have Elsa's story, we have Kristoff's story, and to a degree Anna's story, and then Olaf has a little story of his own. So I think it definitely tries to do a lot, and I don't know if they land the ending of all of those films completely. Um, so props to them for trying that. I think because they had expected that, you know, there's this larger there's this larger universe already, they didn't need to spend a lot of time building up kind of the the nuances of that universe they could just kind of go into the story so i think i i, I kind of see what they were going for there again i don't know if they landed it all completely um song wise i mean obviously the first one had a lot of really catchy songs um let it go do you want to build a snowman love is an open door um you know those were definitely inherently catchable. If you had any sort of little kid, you definitely heard those songs over and over again. Um, I can't really say that the songs here. So, again, I'm not a musician. I'll say so. Take this with a grain of salt. I definitely think the songs, definitely, there's some songs, especially into the unknown, were were as good. And and I'll say I'll say in some cases the songs I liked more. Kristoff, uh, Sve- um, who last last movie was horribly underused and did not really have that great of a song to use, has like a full on '80s power love ballad here with including backup reindeer singers. You know, mild spoilers, but whatever. Too good to not mention. Like, go for just that alone. If just if you have any appreciation for the music for that era, just go. That's amazing. Just watch that. Even just watch that scene alone. Um, 
the only but in terms of memeability or or at least virality, I really think only Into the Unknown probably is the only one that has a shot at at, at that at that ability to to kind of catch on. And even then, I haven't really heard it as much ever. Maybe I just don't not around kids as much, um, and so maybe I haven't heard it. But compared, I mean, I think just Into the um, sorry, Let It Go is just so in the design, guys that kind of hasn't happened with the Unknown. So. You know, we'll see there I, it, again. I I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if it did win best original song, but uh, we'll see. Um, other than that, I think the humor actually I think really stacked up favorably for Frozen too. Um, Olaf, especially you know, some people found Olaf kind of annoying in the first film. Um, I wouldn't say I found him strictly annoying, but you know, he was definitely uh, definitely a. definitely not fully developed. I think they took him in this movie into a bit of an existential. An existential question of like, what is life? What does it mean to grow up? Yada yada yada. Um, but the way he they use his humor into contrast with a lot of what's going on, I think is super good. Um, and then and then you know, there's this one scene where if you've watched Ant Man and Michael Pena's character Luis, there's like a really fast recap of what happened in the last movie, in the other Marvel movies or in the last film. Um, you know, Olaf does a similar thing for Frozen 1. They kind of, the animators in general, not just with that scene, but in other scenes too, kind of knowingly wink at kind of how, you know, ridiculous almost, not not, not quite ridiculous, but at, at Frozen 1 and some of the plot turns and twists in there that, you know, they kind of laugh at it. And, and if you, in I think having that appreciation that they can kind of laugh at themselves made it a little bit more enjoyable. Um, if there's any critique I had and kind of the biggest critique I had, honestly, was that, you know, the film goes in dark places. That's not the critique. It goes in the dark places um, there's a freaking there's a song where Anna has a line that says "Hello Darkness" and in my head I kind of completed it out to say "My old friend," you know, "Hello Darkness, my old friend," um, not the actual lyric, but it kind of goes to these like really dark places and there are sacrifices that are made, there are there are potential consequences, there are um, I don't know what I there's just these there are just these moments that you know, things can get dark. And then for whatever reason, they decide to roll it back. You know, there were no real consequences. There's no real darks. Like, I get it. It's a Disney film. They don't want the kids to be crying at the end of the film. Like, oh, what happened to this favorite character? But, you know, goddammit, Disney, have some fuck, have some courage. I almost cursed. Uh, have some courage and just stick to the darkness. Commit to the, you know, if it, commit to the to the consequences, you know, you, there would be so much more respect for this film if it did, if it did. Even just one of the three major sacrifices or major, you know, losses that happened in this film. That being said, you know, um, yeah, definitely go watch this for the '80s power ballad for Olaf's existential crisis. Um, and yeah, uh, I would, yeah, I think that that's Frozen too. Next up, How to Train Your Dragon Three. So, How to Train Your Dragon Three is again a sequel to How to Train Your Dragon Two, which came out in 2014, which is itself a sequel to How to Train Your Dragon One, came out in 2010, and you know there's been TV series and and so on since then. So, you know, this is definitely isn't the only one, but this is you know presumably the close of this trilogy. We'll see if that sticks, like what happened with Toy Story Four. In any case, it was released in the it released in the U.S. in February twenty second this year, and it had a May home release, so it's definitely out on Blu-ray DVD if you need to go watch it. Um, it's the highest film by 
uh, Universal, who was a distributor on this film after the Fox arrangement with uh, DreamWorks, you know, ended once you know Disney took over uh, the universe. Um, Universal's highest-grossing animated film that does not buy Illumination, the people who make you know the Minions, whatever. Um, I saw this March sixth uh, at the AMC uh, Orpheum Seven Theater on eighty sixth seat in the Upper East Side. Um, so yeah, so I mean, how to train your dragon as a franchise? Well, first off, for some reason, I definitely know and definitely remember watching at least parts of How to Train Your Dragon One and How to Train Your Dragon Two. I for some reason don't remember if I ever actually sat down and watched the whole thing straight through of either of them. I mean, in any case, um, I also remember you know when I first heard about it, reading that I had actually read the books that the children's book that these were originally based on. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, this definitely has. Uh, it's kind of in the same thing as how it is as Toy Story Four almost, right? Where the theme is in general about growing up and finding your place in the world, and, and in some cases also dealing with loss. Um, if you've seen the the other two movies and you know what happens in those films, um, you know. So obviously. I don't have quite as much nostalgia for How to Train Your Dragon three, the franchise, as I do for Toy Story four. That's and and you know, that said, you know, from what I do remember of having seen the other films, you know, it was, you know, I mean, first off, I haven't mentioned this for for either Toy Story four, Frozen two, or you know, How to Train Your Dragon three. I will say probably stands up, you know, compared to Pixar and Disney animation as probably the one of the animated franchises that really stands up quality wise i think kung fu panda would be the other one you know people kind of rag on dreamworks as being disney as pixar light or disney light but really they deserve a lot of respect because how to train you they, it looks like a really slick film um you know uh maybe maybe there's some cynicism about you know maybe the content or whatever but you know you can't fault dreamworks for not having as good animated animation techniques as Pixar and, and Disney does. Um, so props to them for that. Um, yeah, I mean, frankly, this film, I mean, this is probably the film that I saw earliest this year of everyone I'm talking to. So it's really been a while since I've seen it. I don't really know what else I have to say much about it other than that, I, don't know, I think... I think I definitely remember like that weekend. I was kind of in the bad mood. I just needed to just watch something and escape. And, you know, this did the job. And I think... Um, I think it definitely does a good job of wrapping up the story. And I'm questioning whether I'm trying to think compared to Toy Story three how it did. Mm, probably not a fair question to really say. Um, yeah, but I think from what I remember, it ties up a lot of the loose ends. Um, it kind of hints at. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say it really hints at a potential future. Maybe there might be one. I think I'm kind of rambling at this point. You know, I'm not gonna take up your time listening to this, listening to me try to ramble. Remember, but. I mean, How to Train Your Dragon 3 is, you know, I would probably want to go back and watch the first two. I confess, I actually haven't seen Kung Fu Panda, actually, one, or any of the Kung Fu Panda films. So maybe there's there's something in the future for me to rewatch the How to Train Your Dragon series alongside Kung Fu Panda. So who knows? Maybe that'll be another podcast, but you know, I'll leave it at that. Next up, we have Missing Link. So Missing Link. Missing Link is a stop-motion animation film by Leica Studios. Um, if you don't know who Leica Studios are, they're the ones who do who the Coraline, Paranorman, Box Trolls, and Kubo and the Two Strings. Um, 
they it, this film released April seventh uh, and had a wide release on uh, April twelfth um, by Annapurna United Artists releasing, which. If you know anything about how the box office has been lately, kind of will hint at my next point. Uh, this one kind of bombed at the box office. I believe it had like a hundred million dollar budget, and it only made like twenty six million of that back. So you know, definitely, definitely a bomb, box office bomb. Which unfortunately is kind of the case with a lot of like films. I think you know, Coraline. I think was definitely profitable. I think Paranorman was profitable. Um, but the others haven't been quite as much, and those were on smaller budgets. Um, and you know, I mean, this one's out on on home release in July, um, so you know, you can definitely access it. For some reason, I can't find my ticket stub on my app. Maybe I just bought it in person and not through the app uh, for this one. Um, I definitely remember seeing this one in theater. I can tell you what happens in it. Um, I'm pretty sure it was. I saw this at the same theater I saw How to Train Your Dragon at um, at AMC Seven up here in in the Upper East Side. Um, so yeah, I mean, missing link. So. You know, a lot of the Leica films in this this is kind of a thing with Leica in general. I think Leica really produces amazing films. If you're into any sort of any any form of animation, you know, you know that stop motion animation is probably one of the hardest to make. I mean, uh, you know, I saw I remember one of the early films I saw growing up was uh, Chicken Run. Um and, you know, I didn't even realize that that was stop motion. And then when I found it after the fact, I was, I was mind blown. And Coraline, Paranorman, Kubo and the Two Strings, you know, I actually haven't seen Bark Souls, but, you know, all those, actually, I haven't seen Coraline either except clips of it. I really should watch that. But um, all of these films have not only amazing stories and amazing, you know, amazing like well, not not an amazing stories, but they they have a lot of heart and art to them, heart and art to them. Um, but even just purely on a technical level, just thinking about wow, not only were like all of these characters and props and faces handcrafted and made. Well, I think they're using three D printers now, but handcrafted and made. You know, in order to make a second worth of animation, that probably was like an hour lo- or longer of filming, taking individual shots and moving everything. Especially when you get to some of the larger set pieces with the more complicated, you know, uh, beings that that appear in these films. Um, you know, that is just amazing. I, I think if you watch some of the um, the the credit scenes, you you get to see the animators, you know in the time lapse repositioning and filming and moving the characters to film it so just from that level alone i think this film is worth watching i think all of Leica's films are worth watching from for that alone you know i frankly forgot that this was a stop motion animation film i always do whenever i watch any of these films you just kind of forget oh yeah this is totally cg no it's made of clay and plastic and whatever else they make the, the puppets out of um that said so i mean the film in and of itself i mean it's a pretty Pretty standard story of you know finding yourself for some reason between this and Abominable, there's something about you know people trying to find their way to the Yetis and in, in Mount Everest or in the Himalayas. So weird that it, these two both came out in the same year. Um, I guess that happens, you know, ants and bug life. But um, I mean, it's a fairly standard story. I think you know, kind of the motif. I think uh, I think Hugh Jackman, I think, is one of the characters here, um, and and his character and. Uh, you know, kind of the British explorer, the, and and finding you know the the cryptids and so on. I think, you know, that was that was definitely a fun character to go on. Um, I think, you know, again, just thinking that what really comes to mind, just thinking about like, wow, all of the shots that they made were just so beautiful, beautifully made. You know, the stories, whatever, it it it'll it'll come and go. I think, frankly. This is a step away from a lot of what Leica's used to do in the past. Leica, you know, you think about it, Coraline's pretty creepy. Kubo is kind of dark. Paranorman, kind of dark. Um, so all of these, 
films have kind of this dark, edgy side of them. This is kind of the first really almost bright and happy. Um, I will say kind of the design of Link, of the missing Link character, you know, kind of that Yeti who's between, you know, man and ape, who is supposedly what this character is, really was kind of a little off-putting. I kind of imagine that's why it didn't really do so well at the box office and unfortunately kind of bombed. Um, no, but, you know, if, if what I remember is correct, you know, this kind of is bankrolled by, you know, the, the studio director owner's rich parent, I believe, chairman of Nike, I think. Um, so hopefully, I mean, if it's a patron system where, you know, maybe it doesn't make money, but, you know, pursue your passing kid, make what you want art-wise, you know, by all means, I hope that that continues just because if we continue to get amazed, like, if that's the only way that these kind of films get made, I don't mind that continuing at all because I really, like, it wasn't the best film, but from a pure art technical perspective, I think it does push a lot of things that, and kind of preserves the craft that I think should be preserved. So that's Missing Link. Finally, we have Abominable. Abominable is a DreamWorks animation film produced uh, in partnership with Pearl Studio, which is a Chinese animation film. Uh, it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival September 7th and had its U.S. release September 27th. It's since come out for a digital release as of December 3rd, so you can get, definitely get your hands on a Blu-ray or DVD of this. Um, I saw this October 14th at the AMC Theatres in Times Square. So there's actually a bit of controversy with Abominable. So if you've seen the film, you'll know that there's a sequence where they show a map of China. Um, presumably, you know, the kind of gist of the story is that this girl, Chloe Bennett's character, travels with uh, Everest, the uh, Abominable Snowman, Yeti, uh, to make their way to the Himalayas. And they travel across China, seeing various different sites, um, you know, part of the larger story of, of, of the character. But um, there's a sequence where they show the map, and it actually has the infamous nine dash line um which you know in geopolitics is basically this you know basically china claims that the south china sea is you know their territory naval territory whereas you know based on some ancient maps or whatever um whereas like you know most of the other southeast asian countries and you know frankly most of the rest of the world has said no it's not theirs so this actually ended up being banned from being shown in vietnam the philippines malaysia other southeast asian countries as a result of this in any case that political you know geopolitical situation aside um like i said this is kind of this is the second film that that the features uh getting a some sort of yeti type creature back to the himalayas um you know i you know, I I definitely, it was basically, you know, I think this is kind of the weakest film of the bunch, frankly speaking, um, of, of all of these so far. So, you know, I actually looked la at, at the nominees for um, Best Picture or Best Animated Film um, from the Golden Globes, uh, which have already came out. So last year, the Golden Globes were a one-to-one -one match with, um, a one-to-one -one match with, the Academy Award win winner. So, you know, let's look at the ones from this year. Um, so, you know, the prior four, um, you know, Frozen 2, Toy Story 4, How to Train Your Dragon 3, Missing Link, all were nominated for Best Animated Feature by the Golden Globes for this year. The fifth one, however, was Lion King, um, which, you know, some think that it should be an animated film, some calling it a live action, whatever. In any case, Disney did not submit it for consideration for Best Animated Feature Film. Um for for the Oscars, so it's not eligible to run there. So in that case, um, you know, kind of the fifth one that's kind of slotted in, for, um, according to Gold Derby anyway, is Abominable. Because um, frankly, it's, it's probably the one of the higher profile ones of this year. Let's actually take a quick look. Um, and, you know, this again, the fact that I'm not talking too much about 
you know, my review and thoughts on the bottom of I mean, it's children's. It's it's probably the most children's movie of children's movies from the ones we've seen this year, basically. Um, you know, I I think. I guess, you know, I, I will say that I have, you know, having been that guy on this podcast who's talked about Asian and Asian American representation, yeah, it was great to see Asian and Asian Americans, you know, um, you know, being portrayed, especially since their voice actors were also Asian and Asian Americans. Um, at least Chloe Bennett, you know, she actually is Chloe Wang. I think it was her, her original name. She changed her name to get a hot in Hollywood, which is a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, just looking at what's come out this year so far, I mean, the only real other notable film for animated film might be the Adams family, um, which I, I wouldn't say was, was any big thing. Um, you know, there are a couple others I'll talk about, um, that I, that I'd like to see get nominated in a little bit, but, um, that aside, yeah, I mean, the bottom will kind of, it's, it's kind of, you know, the, the fortunate part of the Oscars where what is nominated for, and they, they treat animation as, not a medium, but as a genre. And unfortunately, the genre of animation, animated films can provide great and amazing works. Um, I'm looking at the list, you know, Bunuel in the, in the Labyrinth of the Turtles. Um, you know, uh, there was another one I saw, Oko's Inn, White Snake, um, Fomare. Um, you know, these are other films I think that animation can offer a lot. And it's unfortunate that they kind of treat it as, an, as a children's film. But frankly, the, the ones that get the most notice are children's films and abominable is is that i mean go ahead watch it it, it may well, if anything I actually would say abominable is probably one you might not actually need to watch for the oscars death race because there was some other there's another one that actually might come which i'll talk about in a little bit um so yeah abominable it was cute enough um chloe bennett plays the violin you know some kid jokes about you know berries and butts and whatever i, I don't know just just yeah I'll, I'll I'll leave Abominable at that. So as I just mentioned, Abominable, you know, at the time when I began planning out this podcast, was in the fifth slot for best animated feature film. Um, but, you know, again, we had the Disney Disney film, we have the Pixar film, we have the best uh, the best DreamWorks film of the year, and then the best uh, Leica stop motion film. Um, so Abominable kind of is really like the fifth seat here and could easily be replaced. Um, and you know, at the time of of planning, it was there wasn't really anything else in contention. Um, there were some, there have been other great animated films that have come out this year, um, but none that really had the as widespread reach, I guess, um, as the others or the notoriety. So, um, another one has actually come out since launching this podcast. Um, well, okay, it's I love my body. I lo- I lost my body. Um, I also love my body, but I lost my body. So I lost my body is a French film. Um, and the screenwriter is the same screenwriter as Amelie. Um, so this film premiered at the Cannes Film Festival this year as part of the International Critics Week, um, which is a competition, I think, separate from the main event where first and second, you know, directors of their first and second feature films compete. I believe it's a very limited number of, of people who they allowed to compete in this film, in this category. Um, and, you know, uh, I Lost My Body actually ended up taking home the first place, first uh, the grand prize. Um, the first animated film to do so in the 50 plus year history of this event. So props to them for that. Um, after doing so, they got picked up by Netflix and just released at the end of the year um, or end of November. So I guess that's why the hype for I Lost My Body as a potential nominee is, is growing um, as people get around to seeing it. Again, I haven't gotten around to seeing it myself. I wasn't planning on, on having it be one of the five I talk about, but um, you know, it's on Netflix. So I'll probably give it a watch. Maybe I'll wait till 
after the nominees are out. Maybe not. Uh, maybe I'll, if I don't have anything else to do this big, I'll probably give it a watch. So, you know, we'll see where we end up. Um, the film is about, you know, a hand that's walking around, according to the trailer, figuring out lost memories. I'm not sure. It looks like a trip. Um, so, you know, props to them, and hopefully we'll see what, where it pans out. Um, one other film I want to talk about that, you know, according to Gold Derby, isn't likely to get the nominee, um, and I can see why, um, is Makoto Shinkai's uh, Weathering With You. So if you know anything about me, um, aside from the fact that I'm putting myself through this Oscars death race, um, I like anime, and anime films historically have not done super well um, for the best animated feature film. I believe the only one that's won so far um, is Spirit of the Way, way back in 2002. Um, just looking over the list, I mean, Howl's Moving Castle got nominated, which, you know, makes sense. Um, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, there are uh, The Wind Rises, the other, another Hayao Miyazaki film, um, you know, t- Tale of Princess Kaguya, um, when Marnie was there, um, uh, uh, and Mirai. So it hasn't had, Japan has not had a lot of best animated film nominees much less you know winners um and it's just really the same 2017 specifically makoto Shinkai came out with your name which is you know one of my favorite movies of the year that year again not my favorite movie but definitely one of my top and definitely one of the most enjoyable ones i still listen to the to the radwim soundtrack um at least weekly if not more often and for a while one of the songs was actually my alarm clock to wake up um but um, it was really a great film. It ended up actually being the number two domestic film in Japan when it came out. And I believe there was news a bit that J.J. Abrams was trying to pick it up to make a live action version, which I am not about. Um, but, you know, that just kind of goes to show that, that Your Name was a really successful film. And the, frankly, the Oscars kind of missed it. I mean, The Boss Baby, Ferdinand. <sighs> anyway, so 2017. So anyway, Weathering With You is Makoto Shinkai's next feature film. Um you know, it premiered, you know, in Japan earlier this year, um, July 19th. It had um, a, it's already had its Oscar qualifying one back in this, uh, earlier this month in December and has been at a couple, you know, film festivals here and there. I believe actually, um, I actually had, I, so here in New York, Anime NYC is our big anime convention. I believe they're actually doing the East Coast premiere of of weathering with you on the sunday of the event i unfortunately was unable to go because of some other stuff that came up that day uh really wanted to go see it though so um fathom events will have its uh uh a limited uh release on the 15th and 16th before it goes wide on january 17th so who knows if it's by some miracle weathering with you gets the nominee uh nomination it will it, it it you could probably go and see it that that week it comes out again it's probably not going to just because you know uh makoto Shinkai probably like you know didn't get it last time i, I wouldn't expect it to do this time as well that said it actually was J- japan's entry for international feature film um you know i mean the sort list already has come out for best international feature international feature films and uh rising with you was not unfortunately selected as one of those so um it is what it is um uh but yeah uh here's to hopefully sometime when i'm doing this oscar death race we'll be able to talk about an anime film that somehow is able to you know not only be nominated but somehow be a contender for the top again not gonna hold my breath but um yeah so i lost my body and weathering with you two other films to keep an eye out for
importantly, to wrap it up, as always, let's talk about the film that's probably not an Oscars contention, but um, you know that I I've been up to this week. So I did watch The Rise of Skywalker. No spoilers here. Um, that probably will actually be nominated for some Oscars. So I'm not going to talk about that um, really that much. Um, Instead, I'm going to talk about They Shall Not Grow Old. So this was a documentary film about World War I soldiers, uh, specifically British soldiers on the Western Front against Germany. Um, this is directed by Peter Jackson. It actually came out last year, um, but unfortunately it actually missed the qualifying registration date for you know the Oscar. So it was not eligible for a you know an, a, a best documentary feature last year, which I really think actually it probably would be have been in contention for. Um, and then um, because it came out last year, it's not eligible for this year. So unfortunately, this will never have the chance to get an Oscar, which is a real shame because it's really a not only an amazing documentary in and of itself, but the technical work that went into it, it just, is astounding, right? So, you know, um, on last week I mentioned the shortlist, Apollo 11, I saw that film, and they kind of, there, it was taking archival footage that had never been seen before and just kind of putting it together um, to get, tell, retell the story of the... Um, retell the story of the of the Apollo landing. This is something similar. So the Imperial War Museum in Britain, Peter Jackson went and took the archival footage from there and put it together. But what he did, you know, just from a technical level, as somebody who like has done some video editing before, just blows my mind. So first off, he took, I want to say it was like 100 hours of film footage um, and something like 600 hours of audio interviews done in the 60s with actual veterans, um, I think over 200 veterans. Um, and he took, first of all, he took that and trimmed it down to, I think he said, so, okay, sorry, back up a back up a second so this came out last year i think it had a release earlier this year um by fathom events and had a wide release afterwards and then after that they actually brought it back um for a 3d release um you know this past week um uh which is why i, I definitely made sure to like, make a point to go see because i definitely had been wanting to see this one i just missed the chance the last time so okay Back to the technical stuff. They took the footage. First off, they've trimmed, it, trimmed down that insane amount of footage. He talked about, you know, um, just this, everything he could have talked about, like the non-British point of view, the naval battles, the air battles, the U.S. involvement, the home front as well, and women working in the factories back home. There's so much stuff he could have chosen, but instead of being a documentary about, um, you know, this is this is the event that led to this, that led to this, and kind of the progression of the war, it told it all from the point of view of a soldier who's signing up for the war from Britain, going through training, and then getting to the front, the trenches, and what that experience was like. Um, all the only voices told you hear, the only voiceover you hear are from the actual soldiers themselves recounting their story. So first off, just going through and putting that together is in and of itself amazing. Beyond that, though, like, first off, like, some of the, like, the film itself first off is black and white um apparently some of the, the film wasn't 24 frames per second by standard it was somewhere 12 frames per second somewhere 13 somewhere 17 somewhere 18 somewhere 16 so they had to go through and readjust the the, the frames per second to make it match up which is a laborious process in and of itself readjusting the lighting some were too dark some were too light some had never been seen before because they were too light and too dark so this is some brand new footage especially the artillery shots um, speaking of the artillery shots, so then you know they did foley, they did sound, and 
and making sure and dubbing it over, um, you know, for the sound effects. Like there are some shots of this panning across, you know, different accent shots or of the soldiers looking at the camera and, you know, for some reason, Peter Jackson has an authentic World War One artillery cannon in his studio in New Zealand, and they use that for Foley for sounds. Um, they got lip readers to look at, like, figure out what people were saying in the shots that they have. Find uh, They researched what division that people in that shot were from, because people back in the day, their divisions would be based around the hometown. Like, everyone from a town, everyone from a district would be together. They found the, the people... That what district they were from or what region of Britain they were from found the authentic accent for that and had a voice actor dub it over. Um, Peter Jackson also somehow randomly has original, you know, foot like uh, uniforms from the time period, both German and British, um, which is important because they also recolored the film. Um, so they had to recolor everything from black and white to um, do that. So, you know, pure technical level worth seeing from that angle alone and uh, as a documentary you know this is his first you know actual documentary directoring um position thing sorry words um but yeah peter jackson knocks it out of the park he really does that you get in the head of what being a soldier like it's again it's not everyone's it's not everyone's story it's not the story of everyone in world war ii and everything but it gives a pretty good idea of what it was like and you know kind of the cost of and it touches on the you know the cost of the war afterwards and so on so um if by i believe it's on hbo um so if you want to go check it out give it give it a shot there i'm really glad i did see it in theaters though um so yeah uh, that was uh they shall not grow old um, in any case, so um, wrapping up real quick, the, the credits for this. So um, we're available on iTunes, uh, Spotify. Um, I lied last week when not yet on Google Play, but I got the notification this week. We are now on Google Play. So give us a look there. Give us a review on any of these platforms if you so wish. Um, otherwise, come check out the Oscars Death Race community on OscarsDeathRace.com subreddit. So that's reddit.com slash r slash Oscars with an S Death Race. Um, you know, I'll have a sport. I'll have a thread up here for the for this episode, and you can find past episode threads on there as well. Um, if you need any information about what are most likely films to be uh, nominated for Best Picture um, or whatever other category, check out goldderby.com. Hashtag not sponsored. Um, next week we're going to go back to watching um, some Best Picture nominee, uh, likely Best Picture nominees. Um, so I'll finally get around to talking about The Irishman. Um, I just came back today from watching Bombshell. Um, I already have my reservation uh, for this week to watch 1917 and hopefully sometime I can squeeze in Little Woman um, and leave me enough time to record. If not, we'll just be those three films. Um, but, you know, hopefully we can get four films in um, before and I'll record the episode and leave it for you for your feed for next Tuesday. So, um, um, you have that to look forward to. Um, and as always, our intro and outro music is by Kevin MacLeod. You can find more of his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Um, and with that, this has been the Oscars Death Race podcast where we watch films about that hopefully some actors or some famous people get a little gold man statue for. But it's not over until the final credits roll. Um, until then, enjoy your holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Um, and catch you next week. Bye. Bye.